My name is Margie and I'm from the Bronx, New York. My vision for a healthy functioning democracy is where the politicians do not lie or cheat. Democracy to me means freedom, equality, knowing that you can be yourself in a world where everything is equal. This is Aranda Jenkins calling from Nashville, Tennessee. And in my vision of a healthy democracy, gerrymandering will be illegal, politicians couldn't use their positions for profit, and voting will be as easy as posting a tweet. Welcome to season three of the What We Need Now podcast by Greenpeace USA. You just heard three people share their vision of what a healthy democracy is. And as we celebrate Black History Month, we're going to talk about the progress we've made, our vision for a healthy democracy, and what we need now to achieve that vision. What We Need Now, a podcast where we invite the people doing the work to do the talking. What We Need Now. Hey y'all, I'm Shantae Farrington. I use she, her pronouns, and I'm on Lumbee Land in Raleigh, North Carolina. What is up, y'all? I'm Rico Sisney. I use he, him pronouns, and I'm on Ohlone Land in the Bay Area. I'm really excited for two reasons right now. One, we're kicking off season three of the What We Need Now podcast. Shout out to all the all the people who got us here. Also, we've added some brilliant folks to the podcast team this year, including my co-host Shantae. So, Shantae, welcome. Thank you. I'm excited to. So much has happened over the last two years, and now we are at a pivotal moment in the fight to preserve our democracy and the gains we as African Americans have made to secure our voting rights and our voice in this democracy. And when we kicked off last season, we were on the heels of one of the most blatant attacks on our democracy we've seen in this country in a long time, the January 6th attempted insurrection, of course. For many, this was received as a visible and deadly backlash against the changes happening in America, especially coming on the heels of the November election in which black voters played a pivotal role in deciding the outcome and securing some historic first. And this is nothing new. As many of you know, people of color have been fighting for the right to vote in this country for a long time, and that fight continues today. After a record-setting number of people showed up to the polls in 2020, many state legislators have tried to stop people from voting by introducing and passing dangerous anti-voter bills. Yep. Uh, and in Georgia, where I grew up, the state government actually recently made it illegal for people to hand out snacks or water to voters waiting in line to cast their ballot. Like, really? Like, that's, that's what we're cracking down on? And dozens of laws like that have passed in 19 states. I cannot. Uh, <laughs> and those are just the ones that passed. Utah actually has a proposed bill that would introduce 24-hour voter surveillance at ballot boxes and photo ID. And Florida course, Florida proposed an election police force that was recently shot down. The attempts of the federal government to put a stop to these anti-voter measures have so far failed, most recently with Republicans blocking the Freedom to Vote John R. Lewis Act, which could have stopped these dangerous anti-voter bills dead in their tracks. And we could go on for a while. We could talk about gerrymandering or unfairly steering elections on partisan lines. We could talk about voter ID requirements and other anti-democratic measures to stop equitable access to the polls. But top line is that despite impressive organizing all over the country there continues to be lots of barriers to full democratic participation and opponents to progress 
And we have a brilliant guest with us today who can help put all of that into context and help us find some hope in a seemingly bleak situation. But first, a word from our fake sponsors. Black Packs, the great American outdoor company for intrepid black adventurers, helps our customers overcome the toughest obstacles in the harshest environments. In 2020, we learned that the greatest challenge many of our black backpackers face isn't scaling Everest or rowing across the Pacific. It's making it through Election Day. In such a hostile, rapidly changing environment, you need a pack that can keep up with whatever lawmakers throw at you. You need Black Pack's Election Day Survival Pack. More than a go bag, this 50-liter Kevlar pack is fire, water, and insurrection-proof. It includes the essentials, first aid kit, solar battery charger, water, COVID mask, COVID antigen test, COVID PCR test, portable chair, three days of dehydrated meals, a mobile stand-up sleeping mat to ensure you keep your place in line overnight, baby wipes, and so much more. Because the biggest obstacles to voting aren't the absurdly long lines and hours on your feet in the elements. It's the people who don't want us to vote. And we've got features for that as well. We included camo gear, not to blend in with your surroundings, but to blend in with rioters so you can make a safe exit after casting your ballot. For our premium club members, we've included at no extra cost a voting survival pack app that helps you check for random precinct closings in real time. Your app will also share local job listings just in case you couldn't get time off work to vote and had to quit or got fired. Black backpackers have never needed to look far for adventure. So whether you find yours walking your dog in the park, enjoying your community pool in the summer, or casting your ballot, make sure you've got Black Pack on your back. Welcome back to the show. We got a very special guest today who brings 20 years of strategic campaigning and grassroots mobilization experience, a human rights advocate and recognized leader in the global social justice movement. His work has elevated labor movement campaigning, cutting edge environmental justice organizing, and his ongoing commitment to economic and immigrant justice. Who am I talking about? I'm talking about my colleague and Greenpeace's very own democracy campaign director, Falabi Alagbaju. Falabi, thank you for being here with us today. How thank are you? you. Good, very good. Thank you, Rico. Uh, glad to be here. I've been a great admirer of this uh, show, and uh, I'm really uh, honored to uh, be here. I appreciate today. that. Well, yeah, we're, we're glad to get you on here. And um, before before we get into the interview and your work, is there anything that you want to share with folks in terms of who you are and how you identify? Yeah, uh, my name is Falabi. I use he, him pronoun today, currently on unseated Anacostan and Piscataway land, otherwise known as Silver Spring. Uh, which is the uh, outskirt of Washington, D.C., and uh, I'm originally from Nigeria. Awesome. I think for a lot of our listeners, they might be wondering how a democracy campaign fits with an organization that they're accustomed to only hearing about campaigning on climate, right? So I want to just start there. Can you can you just break down how the democracy campaign fits uh, within the larger Greenpeace and, and what that actually means? Yeah, thank you again, Rico. Actually, I should be remiss if I don't first wish you and your listeners a very happy Black History Month. Uh, oh, yes. The month of February <laughs> is a chance to celebrate uh, Black achievement, uh, Black joy, Black love, Black beauty, and dare, dare I say, Black power. Yes. Uh, it is also a time for us to acknowledge where systemic racism still endures in our society. Uh, such as in the ballot box. Uh, so this question you raise is very, very important. Uh, it's, and it's one that I always get. And my instinctive and immediate response is to say that, uh, of course, we are there to win. We are not in the democracy space to learn civic lessons. Uh, we are there to win and to win big on our climate solutions goals. Uh, think about it, Rico. 
all the victories that we have had over the last five or so decades, uh, whether we are talking about the Clean Air Act, whether we are talking about the uh, Clean Water Act, whether we are talking about the establishment of the EPA, they all came through the political sphere, either through legislative actions or executive fiat. And we also know that uh, what politics gives with one hand, it can also take with the other hand. Right. That was why about uh, eight or ten years ago, Greenpeace joined with other groups, including civil rights groups like NAACP, labor groups like uh, CWA, Communications Workers of America, and other uh, environmental organizations like Sierra Club to pull our efforts together to defend our mutual progressive uh, legislative agenda. Uh, at Greenpeace, we always say that our democracy should be the best tool for advancing climate solution goals. Unfortunately, it has been hijacked by fossil fuel interests, uh, extremist politicians, and corporate greed. Uh, as you know, uh, millions of people, particularly black and brown and indigenous communities, are blocked from participating uh, in the, our electoral process because of restrictions to voting rights and the corroding influence of uh, corporate money in politics. Uh, making progress on this democracy front is key to making progress on other key issues facing our country and our society today. Whether you are talking about women's rights, labor rights, living wage, healthcare, uh, racial justice, and of course, protecting our environment. Uh, we cannot actively, effectively, uh, effectively tackle these uh, issues, uh, these critical issues without first fixing our broken system that caters to corporate polluters. Uh, we all know that a healthy democracy is a precondition for a healthy environment, and that as the threat to democracy grows, so does the threat to our environment. So this work for Greenpeace, engaging in democracy space, is really, really mission critical for our work. If, if the microphone was handheld, you probably would have dropped it at the end of that. I feel like you just said some very, <laughs> very, very powerful. If anybody was wondering what Demo democracy campaign does at Greenpeace, I feel like they heard you. And now now we can move forward into, into uh, how to get activated and how to get involved. So I appreciate that thoughtful answer. And you mentioned labor rights and human rights. And you have a background in, in, in some of these different spaces, having worked for SEIU, Amnesty International. So I'm wondering, like how that informs your work and, and how you see those things intersecting. Yeah, uh, thanks for asking that, Rico. I think it all boils down to justice. You know, I've mm. always been interested in the issue of justice since I grew up in Nigeria. Uh, you know, I grew up in a country that was for many, many years uh, under uh, uh, military dictatorship. Mm. And as a uh, student activist, I grew up fighting in the trenches for democracy. Uh, and, you know, it was at a great cost. Um, some of my friends, you know, lost their lives in that, in that, in that cause. Um, and uh, so, and also, while I was growing up was the issue of uh, apartheid in South Africa. So I learned, you know, from that, I learned about the importance of solidarity, being in solidarity with our brothers and sisters in South Africa, in Mozambique, in Angola, who could not, you know, assess education, or go wherever they want because of the color of their skin. So, you know, when I got to the U.S., I was lucky to find a job with SCIU organizing janitors. These are mostly recent immigrants from Central America who ha have no power. And for many, many, they are invisible in the society. And uh, 
As a union organizer, I help them organize into the union, negotiate collective bargaining agreement that help to level the playing field with the bosses. You can just see how powerful an agency they have once they come into the union. Uh, working in with Amnesty also helped me hone my human rights framework for this work. You know, we always say that human rights is for everybody to enjoy, but it's not, it's not guaranteed to anybody. While it's for all of us to enjoy, it's not guaranteed, which is why we have to fight. We have to fight for those, those basic rights. So that is what I've kind of learned, and that is the perspective that I bring to this work. Uh, environment is a basic human right. Regardless of the color of your skin, your gender, your sexual orientation, we all have this right. So that is why working in, this, in these areas helped me. My last job before coming to Greenpeace was working with, as you mentioned, with the Lutheran Immigration and Refugee Service. And in that work, I help uh, organize and recruit leaders and train them and resource them to do the work. What do you think, what kind of connection refugees have to the environment? Uh, today, you see there are a lot of climate refugees, you know, as we see a lot of climate crisis, people are being displaced from their homes. Uh, whether you talk about Guatemala, where the environment is dried up and people who are growing coffee can no longer grow coffee. When you go to Africa, uh, there's increased desertification because of the climate change. This is leading to a lot of climate refugees and people have to find a way to kind of survive. So there's a lot of intersectionality with this work, whether it's labor, uh, whether it's human rights, whether it's environment, it's all the same. It's all based on issue of justice. Yes, I, I really appreciate you naming how connected all these things are. And, and like you said, I agree, it does all come back down to justice. Um, and also, happy Black History Month to you. Um, Thank you. One, one of the big things that I, that I think about in terms of my own family's history is, is voting rights. I think about the fact that my dad's first time voting was also my grandmother's first time voting because of the barriers that had been there for her. Um, and she's many, many decades older than him. Um, and so, to imagine that now we're still having some of the same fights, we're still fighting to, to increase access to the vote, still fighting to increase the power of the vote. Um, I, I wanted to talk a little bit, hear your perspective on what are those fights? What does the actual work look like right now? Um, a year ago, we had Jonathan Butler and, and Brittany Baxter. We, we interviewed her um, and we were talking about the importance of HR1 and HR4, um, which of course have got new names, but the, the importance never changed. And um, with the most recent defeat of the John Lewis Act, I just want to know, where's the energy? Where, where, where are the current fights and where should people focus? As you mentioned, the uh, Freedom to Vote Act and the John Lewis Voting Rights Act, unfortunately, were filibustered by the Republicans uh, about three weeks ago. Uh, this is a situation where the minority prevented the majority from doing what they were elected and, and uh, voted into the office to do. Why this defeat was a setback is definitely not the end of the road. Uh, we are determined to keep pushing for uh, voting rights reform in the Congress, whether it's this Congress or the next Congress. I think where the energy should go now, as you all know, 2022 is a midterm election, and it's a very critical midterm election as well. One, because it's going to determine who controls the House. Uh, right now, the House is in the Democrats' hand uh, with a very thin uh, majority. Uh, the Senate is actually even smaller because it's 50-50. And uh, we need to really get people out to vote. As you know, in 2020, people came out in droves, particularly black people and black women, came out in droves to vote. And what we saw after that election 
was efforts to overturn a free and fair election. Uh, we have also seen uh, a violent attack on efforts to, as to, uh, to implement that result of that election. And what also we are seeing after that, after the January 6th uh, failed um, insurrection, is efforts to pass tons of uh, uh, racist anti-voter uh, bills in many, many states. So as of, as of today, 19 Republican-led uh, 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 states have passed more than 36 bills that are designed to uh, disenfranchise mostly black, brown, and indigenous people. And what is also most important about that is many of these people who stood up against the affirmation of the people's will in January 2026 are also in a position to overturn the next election. We have them in places like Secretary of State. So people need to really double down and vote. And the reason why we have this anti-voter suppression is because we are winning. If we are not winning, they will not be out there trying to prevent us from voting. Uh, as uh, Senator Warnock said, some people don't like some people to vote, and we know who those people are. So the other thing we should also focus on is the role of corporations in our political system. As I mentioned before, there's tons of corporate money, fossil fuel money that is corroding our election. So we need to really hold corporations accountable for protecting and defending democratic principles and policies. So uh, as, your, as your listeners may know, 2020 was the most expensive election with more than $14 billion spent. Mm -hmm. This more than double the amount that was spent in 2016. Uh, most of this money came from uh, unregulated super PAC money. So we are really focusing on showcasing the role, the uh, oversized role of corporates in, in politics. So last year, Greenpeace re released a report titled Dollars versus Democracy. The report exposed the disconnect between what corporate America are saying about their support of, for democracy and their support for Black Lives Matter and for equity and justice and where they are really putting their money, which is in this kind of racist anti-voter bills and racist anti-protest bills. Uh, from that report, we identify corporations like AT&T, who says that you know, they have a mission of bringing people together. They have a mission of supporting black people, of you know, loving freedom and equity. But when we were in, the, in that report, they were the number one sponsor of uh, uh, state legislators that were uh, introducing this anti-voter, anti-protest anti bills. And they're on the top 10 of those who are introducing this anti-voter bills at the federal level. So what we are doing, what we are saying is we are calling on corporations like AT&T to stop giving money to those politicians, to those extremist politicians who are uh, trying to destroy our democracy, who are not willing to affirm the legitimacies of the last election. So those are the kind of things that people could put their energy around. Yeah, I, I appreciate bringing it to the to the corporate level because I think, as we're seeing, you know, folks are voting, and you know, especially like Black and Brown folks have shown out in record numbers again and again and again. And so to see that corporations then exercise their influence and it seems to go further, even beyond that, to see folks creating barriers and obstacles to voting. And despite super long lines in Georgia, despite all of the things they threw, despite COVID, people still showed up and it's really inspiring. 
Um, and I think you're right. The next step is how do we actually adjust the system to make sure that those votes are actually uh, going to go as far as they can. With your background, having lived in Nigeria, having organized in those spaces, having now organized in a U.S. context, I'm just curious, like, what kind of insights that's brought for you or, or how that informs how you approach the work? Yeah, again, thank you, Rico, because, yeah, um, you know, the our situation, I mean, your listeners would not be um, surprised if I tell you that our democracy is really in peril. And... Uh, and it could even get worse. You know, I feel like we are somehow on the path to authoritarian, authoritarianism uh, and, uh, and towards some right, right-wing fascism in this country. And the sad reality is that I've seen this play before. Uh, you know, as I mentioned before, I grew up in Nigeria, a country that was once a promising democracy, which quickly descended into military dictatorship, and now for all practical purpose and intent, is, you know, is a failed democracy. Uh, the parallels are very quite striking. You know, in the first place, you cast doubt on the integrity of our voting system and election result. You prevent plans for a peaceful transition of power with violence, like we saw on uh, January 6th. You threaten violence against election officials that we are seeing in Michigan, in, 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 in Arizona. And then you attempt to use state apparatus to survive the declaration of a result that you are losing. This is something that I've seen in Nigeria and I'm also seeing here. Um, as an immigrant, one of the great benefits of being a citizen of this country is the right to vote. And it's something that I took seriously. In all my years here in this country, I've never failed to vote in an election. I remember very clearly uh, the first time that uh, Obama ran for president. I remember taking my kid with me, standing in line to vote for, the, for Obama and the kind of pride that I felt, you know, and now all that is coming, like coming crumbling. Mm -hmm. Let's be very clear. January 6th is not history. It is still an unfolding story. As, as I mentioned, many of those who participated in those mob violence in January 6th are currently holding public offices and others who tried to overturn the result of the last election are running for position like Secretary of State that could allow them to influence future elections. And as I mentioned, my, my experience in Nigeria taught me that people who try to steal one election just don't steal only one. Hmm. You know, they just, they just don't do, try to overturn one election. It becomes part of the culture, part of their political strategy. So I really don't want to see the United States become a failed democracy like my native country. And right now, we're at a point where we can prevent this inevitable slide towards authoritarianism, which is why this, this, particular point, this particular point in time is very poignant and very significant for all those who love freedom and those who love justice. That is the thing that keeps me up at night, is, is with that worry mm -hmm. about authoritarianism and, and how close it appears that we are to that. And, and the lack of reaction to it. So, you know, I'm really glad that, that we're working and on we are the time where, And we are at the point where we can turn things around. But the important yes. thing is that we need all hands on deck. Uh, this fight to democracy is, uh, is, needs everybody, everybody to be, you know, uh, to be at their, at, at their, you know, to be fired up. You yeah. know, we need people to be fired up for this election coming up uh, in November. Are there organizations that you, other folks or folks on the ground or organizers that you are um, particularly interested in or that you are inspired by that are, that are doing some of this work? 
Yeah, yeah, definitely. There are a lot of great organizations that are, that are doing amazing work on the ground and uh, that we are also in partnership of, uh, with, uh, in collaboration with. One of those is uh, Black Voters Matter, led yes. by uh, Cliff, Cliff Albright and uh, Latosha, Latosha uh, Brown. They are doing amazing work uh, in number of key states. You know, when you're talking about Georgia, in Texas, in Michigan, in Arizona, they are there, you know, canvassing, you know, doing a lot of political education to really make sure that people understand why this, you know, midterm election is very important. As you know, most people don't pay attention to midterm election. Most people always pay attention to the presidential election. But this midterm election is going to set the stage for what happened in 2027, 2024, you know. And this is a way where the Republicans are trying to test some of their, you know, racist, you know, anti-voter suppression and in preparation for 2024. So groups like Black Voters Matter are doing incredibly amazing job, you know, really tapping into the grassroots and really making sure that people are educated and they're really ripe up to do the, the work. There are other groups like uh, New Georgia Project, that are also doing some really amazing work in Georgia. So uh, people should just really pay attention to some of these groups and really try to find a way to really tap into some of the great work that they are doing. And we'll for sure share some of those links uh, in on the blog, on the website, and in the comments on SoundCloud. Um, so you, you, you've always struck me as somebody who is very both inspiring and also very hopeful. And I think we're talking about a lot of very depressing things. You know, we're, we're talking about... Um, literal physical attacks and also the more like uh symbolic attacks on our democracy and yeah i just want to hear from you like what gives you hope you know what um what kind of like brings you back to it every every time when you need to to buckle down and do some of this hard work yeah i mean thank you so much uh rico uh as you know i'm very naturally i'm a very optimistic positive person and uh, what really gives me hope at this time uh is the fact that we have a lot of uh, young people, you know, of all gender, of all sexual orientation, of all races coming up, you know, to say that we are not going to take a no for an answer. Uh, young people are really stepping up. They are getting more engaged. A lot of people say young people are apathetic, you know, but that's not what I see. I see mm. a lot of young people who want to take their future into their hands, who don't want the old politicians to determine their future, whether we are talking about climate change, whether we are talking about labor rights, whether we are talking about women's rights to choose, they are really stepping out and really being at the forefront of this work. So I really take a lot of inspiration and energy from, from them. And I also take a lot of inspiration and energy from your listeners and from our supporters who are really doing some really great work and supporting Greenpeace through all this work. So, you know, I really have hope and uh, I'm sure that uh, we are going to be doing a lot of great things with these young people uh, who are really on the fire, who are on fire to do great things. Awesome. So the last question I have for you is the one that we ask every guest that comes on here. It's uh, what do we need now to achieve black liberation and environmental justice? Yeah, that's a great question. And that's one that I've kind of put a little bit of thought to, you know, uh, I think what we really need to do at this point is to really uh, build political power through local organizing and political education. Um, and there are a lot of great people, groups doing a lot of great work, you know, around this work. I, I follow uh, Movement for Black Lives. Yes. Uh, I follow the Black Hives that they've put together, you know, uh, our friend Jonathan Butler. Mm -hmm. They are there in that, in that group too, doing some amazing work. Uh, so, you know, I think we need to really make sure that we are really going into the, into the communities. 
we are doing those organizings right in the communities because people outside the communities don't understand the communities. They don't know what is going on in the communities. It's only we in the communities that can really make the difference, that can re that really understand what is going on. Whether we are talking about issues of justice, issues of uh, uh, not just racial justice, but also in terms of criminal justice system, we have to be the ones who are doing that work. And we not need to be making sure that we are in community, in the community, actually doing that work right there. Well, thank you again for jumping on this call, doing this interview with us. And we'll look forward to following this democracy campaign and, and driving folks to continue to build power in these communities because we will achieve black liberation. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much, Rico. All right, y'all, if you've been listening for a while, you already know what it is. Right now, we want you to take some action because, just like Falabi said, we're not in the democracy space just trying to learn civics lessons. We need to win. So, number one, support Black Voters Matter by visiting blackvotersmatterfund.org. You can find that link along with the links to the New Georgia Project and the Greenpeace Report Dollars vs. Democracy in our blog. If you enjoyed this episode, and you know you did, we invite you to go ahead and dive into the What We Need Now archives. Check out season one, episode two, Youth vs. Apocalypse, and season two, episode one, What We Expect Now, for an even more in-depth look at the long and winding road to voting rights for people of color in this country and the current fights against voter suppression. And while you're at it, go ahead, like, click subscribe, leave a rating or a comment wherever you listen to the episode. And finally, in honor of Black History Month, we have a short poem by the artist, organizer, former Greenpeace democracy campaigner, and forever what we need now family member, Jonathan Butler. Take it away. This has just been on uh, my, my spirit as of late, just in terms of, um, again, we're still in the midst of this uh, Panera Bread Co. Um, and there's still a long way to go, right? Uh, and there's a lot of work to do. And um, there is no going back to what we thought was was normal and so we really have to continue to fight and so um there's uh this great poem uh by the poet uh the scholar the activist uh june jordan uh that resonates with me in this time and uh, this is a excerpt and if i if i ever let you slide who should be extricated from my universe who should be cauterized from earth completely law and order jerk offs of the first and terrorist degree then let my body fail my soul in its bedeviled lecheries. And if I, if I ever let love go because the hatred and the whisperings become a phantom dictate, I, or in lieu of impulse and realities, the blossomings of flamingos of my wild mimosa trees, then let love freeze me out. I must become, I must become a menace to my enemies. Um, yeah, it's, uh, it's a beautiful poem. Uh, it has three parts, but uh, there, there is no stop in the fight is the, the theme 